Queer Business Success, the podcast for LGBTQIA business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, caregivers, and the allies who love our community. We tell the stories of why our businesses were formed, who we serve, our challenges and successes, and we offer sound advice to our fellow queer entrepreneurs. Our hope is to inspire, enlighten, and highlight the services that our LGBTQIA businesses and allies offer. If we can do this, so can you. We believe that we need more LGBTQIA business owners, not only for our community, but for a better world. Here's our host, Anne-Marie Zanza. I'm so excited to have Kristen Jones on the show today. Kristen was on my other podcast, Coming Out and Beyond. Please go listen to that episode. Her coming out story is amazing. So Kristen is the founder of Voce Speech Therapy, located in Nashville, Tennessee. As a speech language pathologist focusing on adults, she specializes in the treatments of neurological disorders that impact speech, language, voice, and cognitive skills. Additionally, they have a profound interest in serving the transgender, gender nonconforming, and non-binary communities through providing accessible gender-affirming voice training. As a member of the LGBTQ plus community, Kristen, who uses she, they pronouns, are passionate about providing culturally responsive care. Kristen currently resides in Nashville with her spouse and three children. They are passionate about social justice and human rights. Kristen enjoys exploring nature, yoga, hiking, rock climbing, vintage clothing, traveling, volunteering in the community, and spending time with families and friends. Kristen, welcome to this show. I'm so (laughs) excited to feature your work as a speech pathologist for the queer community. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I was reading all the stuff you do, and I was like, girl, when do you have time for the work? (laughs) (laughs) Is girl appropriate? And and so, because I'm always learning, is girl appropriate for me if I call you that? Oh, thank you for asking. So Mm -hmm. it's fascinating because I I know you are familiar with my coming out story, Mm -hmm. but I didn't come out as genderqueer until pretty recently. Um, So I spent my whole life being mom to my kids, um, being girl to my friends. Um, and I feel okay with that. I mean, I use she, they pronouns. So I feel comfortable with that. I feel more comfortable with it when it's people I'm familiar with, such as you or somebody who is familiar with my gender identity than Mm -hmm. somebody that's not. And just kind of, um, assuming my gender identity based on my appearance, like out in the public and out in the community. So well, you know, it's really interesting, too, because, you know, I'm always learning about like how people want to be referred to and stuff like that. And so I always advise people like I said it and then I was like, oh, wait a minute, maybe she doesn't like maybe they don't like to be called girl. And so it was like, then you ask. I love that. Yeah. Don't walk away in shame. Say, hey, did yeah. I do that right? Because sometimes you just don't know. And I so appreciate it. Yeah. No, yeah. thank you for asking. And I like. I love that. And it gives me a chance to say like, yo, this is where I am and this is my lived experience and this is what my preference is and this is how I identify. So it really does open up that dialogue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as on this show, a lot of times I people ask people to, to talk about their coming out story, but Kristen did a, such a wonderful job with it on coming out and beyond. So I'm going to refer anybody who wants to hear Kristen's um, coming out story to the uh, coming out and beyond podcast. We will link these two so you can find it easily. But 
me about being a speech pathologist. How did you get into that? Um, how did you get into that? What's the story behind that? Yeah, it's not a great one. I changed my major in college probably like 12 times, much to my parents' dismay. I uh, <laughs> am like a yes, very much a yes person. I, I'm high energy. So I find an avenue that I have interest in and I just explore it. Um, so I was really all over the place, uh, had a friend ma ma majoring in speech pathology, and I was like, oh, I just want to take a class and see what that's all about. Um, and I ended up loving it, and I loved more of the science. So I I specialized um, in acoustic phonetics to begin with, so more of like the voice science um, and research. And then it evolved into really enjoying patient care um, and working in university hospitals. And I was very passionate about that setting for a very long time, still am. Um, and then after a decade and a half of working in university hospitals and other settings, um, I finally, after many years of thinking about it, I finally took the leap uh, and found my founded my own private practice. What was it like taking the leap for you? Um, amazing. Amazing. I felt nothing but support from my family, my friends, my speech pathology community in Nashville, um, the hospital that I was working at part time, nothing but supportive, collaborative, amazing. Um, it also, I love the freedom of it, of I set my own hours, um, mm -hmm. I can schedule around what my family has going on, appointments, um, and I also, the, my main driving factor in starting my private practice was this um, observation that access to care is a huge problem, especially in the aging population. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I worked at a major university hospital where it's in the epicenter of this big city uh, and it's hard for people to get in and out. They may live too far away to come multiple times a week or they may not be able to drive um, or it just might be very overwhelming for somebody to enter into that environment for gender affirming voice services. Um, and then also, you know, there's a subset of the population where um they cannot afford care. They might be uninsured or, you know, uh, people aren't accepting their insurances. So I really saw this void that I wanted to help and do everything that I could to help fill with more accessible care. Um, and there's a couple different ways that I go about making sure that care is accessible for the population that I serve. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my story with opening my private practice. Quick question. So you are licensed in Tennessee and Ohio. Do you see people outside those areas? At this time, I cannot. So um, okay. I have to be licensed in the state that the client um, lives in or is present in. But mm -hmm. I am hoping to slowly kind of expand that. Um, I was looking up states that do not have, that I can tell, um, any gender affirming speech pathologists that practice in them. So that's my next thought is kind of expanding into states that maybe don't have any gender affirming voice services available. So would you, I'm just, I'm just really curious because a lot of therapists and that I know, whether they're, you know, um, not speech therapists so much, but like in the therapeutic world, often call themselves coaches to get around the licensing requirement. 
Um, and if you don't want to talk about this on air, I completely <laughs> understand. Okay. But like, have you ever thought about doing that? Um, like when you w- reach out or are you going to keep just getting license after license, after license, after license, probably license after license. I like being able to feel like I can practice to my full scope of practice. Um, and deliver services in that regard. I know some therapists that have um, they've gone about it in other ways and done like mm-hmm. grid models and that na- things of that nature. Um, but for me personally, I really just like the kind of that therapeutic approach. Um, and then, you know, with that, I'm able to sure. take some insurance. Yeah, exactly. Able to accept clients' insurances. Um, and yeah, I just, I really enjoy that kind of therapeutic model and therapeutic process. So, so you know, I, I had you on the show to talk more about your speech work with people who are transitioning, but I know people will be listening that have elderly parents. <laughs> and, you know, I heard you talk about where, you know, you have such a heart for the elderly community. And so what type of speech work do you do with people who are older? Absolutely. Um, so post-stroke, post-traumatic brain injury, um, neurodegenerative diseases like ALS, for example. Um, I love working with what we call AAC, which is communication system. Um, for example, for patients with ALS, um, they use like an they can use an eye gaze system um, and actually bank their voices upon being diagnosed um, and then upload those voices, their own voice into this computer system for when the disease progresses and then use eye gaze to communicate through this computer system with their voice that they banked previously. Um, So it gives people the opportunity to communicate again to make their wants and needs known that are no longer able. Um, So I am actually worked with a couple ALS patients in my hospice life and I had people communicate that way and it is brilliant. Amazing. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. To be able to speak in, even though, you know, you're using your eyes to be, because it's a very, the one, I mean, this was, gosh, this was almost 10 years ago and, and Bruce is long since gone, but it was a very computer generated voice, you know, yes. at that point. And, you know, in a sense, I think it probably really others people even more, you know, yeah. how can you, I'm curious though, that fear that happens when you're diagnosed with such a terminal illness. And how do you get people to bank their voices? Because the thought of, you know, speaking with your eyes um, can be so incredibly scary, you know, especially when it's happening to you. Yeah. Um, so how do you get, I'm just curious, I, we're getting totally off topic. This, no, is my old, this is my old chaplain line. So, yeah. so, I'm sorry, we'll get back to topic, but like, how do you get people to bank their voices? That's a really good question. Um, so I, in any population I see, I value so much an interdisciplinary approach. So having psychotherapy or mental health providers or social workers or chaplains available um, to help kind of process, I mean, getting di- having a diagnosis of a neurodegenerative disease that you're aware will progress with time. And especially, you know, younger folks too getting diagnosed with these things. It's hard to imagine such a change in your life where cognitively you might be fully intact, but you completely lose your communication abilities. Um, that's daunting and heartbreaking. Yeah. So having that multidisciplinary approach to allow that patient space to process and, and grieve 
but then move forward. Um, so I approach therapy with, um, maybe like a more, I would call it a strength-based approach where it's like, okay, let's grieve what has been lost or what we know will be lost. Let's, let's allow you space and time to grieve that. And then also let's really value your strengths. What are your strengths? You still have a very clear communication, a very clear voice. Let's bank that for in the future when that may change. Um, and then, you know, just being very open. I love being a cheerleader for patients, but also being very open and transparent about um, the, the, the disease process um, and what that might look like. I don't, I wouldn't do any service if I was all sunshine and rainbows and wasn't honest and open and clear and giving the patient what they might need in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your work with the trans community, because when I read your bio and read what you did, I was, first of all, like what you do is so needed, like so needed to have your voice match your outward appearance is so affirming for people. So can you talk a little bit about the science? Um, for people who are not in the, I mean, people, I know people in the trans community often know all the science and stuff like that, but can you talk a bit, a little bit about the science of changing someone's voice? Would I call it the, what's the word, tenor of the voice or their timber or what would you, how would I? Timber tone. Yeah. Pitch. Timber tone. Yeah. Okay. All right. How, how do you, first of all, what's the science behind it of changing (laughs) it? Can anybody change their voice? Yeah, you're opening up a can of worms because I I will talk about this for hours. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Um, so there's so much science to it, um, which is why I feel like you know it's great to explore, to watch some um, internet videos, things of that nature. But it's really great to visit a professional that has that that scientific knowledge and uses like an evidence based approach to changing things, um, because a lot of times people will think it's just changing pitch. I need to raise the pitch of my voice to be higher. Um, But it's actually, I I call it like an onion model where you have like this foundation and it's just layered Um, a bunch of different uh, acoustic parameters, voice characteristics go in and work together to really change the overall sound of the voice. Uh, So I actually start with resonance training, which is where the air is vibrating in the vocal tract. Assigned female at birth stereotypically have kind of a lighter, brighter, more forward resonance. So we want to pull for uh, feminizing the voice. We want to pull that resonance forward and more to the front of the face. Mm-hmm. And then at around the same time, I layer on pitch too. So tuning to whatever goal note, whatever, wherever the client's goal voice is kind of systematically stair-stepping and tuning to that. Uh, So pairing this pitch and resonance training, Uh, resonance is also extremely healthy for that, like pulling it out of here, uh, having a nice, easy resonance so that we're not having any strain or tightness in the neck muscles, super Mm -hmm. important. Um, And then we look at things like intonation, um, the rise and fall of the voice in conversation, um, articulation. So for feminizing the voice, lightening and brightening the articulation, using lighter contacts when you're talking and speaking, um, shaping the vocal tract in a different way can change the resonance as well. So I do really subtle modifications with how the mouth is postured, with how clients are um, saying 
saying different things and that will actually change the overall sound of the voice too. So it's it's a lot, it's like mainly resonance, pitch, intonation, articulation, um, and then we'll do some language or some nonverbal body language if the client desires that. So a lot of the clients are on hormonal therapy. Does that change your pitch of your voice at all? Such a good question. Um, testosterone. So um, for trans men that are taking tea, that will thicken the voc vocal folds, which usually has an effect of some deepening of the voice. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that um, I mainly see trans women um, mm -hmm. because HRT, hormone replacement therapy, there's some research being done, but it, we're not seeing big shifts in the voice with HRT. Um, so usually it will be, I have a lot of clients wanting to feminize the voice. Um, mm -hmm. There are definitely trans male clients that um, either T hasn't quite changed their voice the way they would like it, um, or they want to change certain characteristics. So T may have lowered their pitch, but their resonance might still be um, off for their masculine voice. Can you clarify what you mean by resonance for me? Yes. So resonance is like a vibration where your voice is vibrating. So for example, if I say me, that's a forward resonance. So that kind of almost a little bit nasally, but feeling that vibration in the front of your mouth mm -hmm. um, versus like, ah, that's a little bit of a lower resonance. So mm -hmm. it's where kind of these things are, are, where this vibration is occurring in the vocal tract. Mm -hmm. And um, we call it format shifting, but um, there's a lot of ways to change the posturing and the shape of your vocal tract to um, produce a different resonance, either more masculine or more feminine. So if somebody does this training, is there muscle memory or is it something they always have to consciously do? Such a good question. Yes, yes. So I have a million memory. questions about this. I love thought about it. it. <laughs> I can talk about it all day long. Um, yes, muscle memory, motor memory. Um, so I give the client very, very specific home exercise programming every single session and recommend they do it two to three times a day. Um, if they do not have a lot of time, five minutes, three times a day. So short bursts to really promote that habituation. So the end goal is the client waking up in the morning, uh, warming up their voice, and then not even having to think about it. There's mm -hmm. always probably going to be some element where they might need to kind of check in, retune, um, but the ultimate goal is to have it be as habitualized as possible. That is their new voice. That is their gender congruent voice. So I want that being able to be easy for them, and that's the end yeah. goal. Yeah, and not have to like so like you and I, because we have the voices, I don't believe you've changed your voice very much. And I haven't either. One thing that I find really interesting as I've aged, my voice has gotten deeper. And we all just like some of my friends, like, you know, we joke about it because especially my friends, like my guy friends that are singers, you know, they're like, as a tenor now I'm a bass. <laughs> now, can I ask, this is again, just me being interested in the voice. Um, why do our voices get lower or deeper as we get older? That's a really good question. It's, it's a pretty common um, common occurrence. It doesn't happen to everybody, um, but the vocal cords change. So mm -hmm. sometimes how they're vibrating can change. Sometimes the mass of the vocal cords can change. 
Um, sometimes some a little bit of weakness can set in. Um, sometimes it can be like a neurological cause that changes how the vocal cords are vibrating or how they're moving. Um, but it's pretty common that it's, you know, kind of a benign occurrence as we age, our vocal cords change just like, you know, other parts of our body change as well. True, so. true. Can I ask you, so like, so my wife, you know, I didn't know her then, but she said that until she was like 42, she sounded like a little girl. And so people, and she doesn't have that voice at all anymore, but she would say like, people would call and say, is your mother there? Like on the phone, like that. So if you are somebody who doesn't like your voice, you know, you have a very young sounding voice and you want to sound more professional or, or your voice is, you know, not masculine enough or something like that. Can you work with people like that as well and help them um, find the voice that is most comfortable for them? Absolutely. So I have um, a lot of executives as well that, um, and a a lot of female executives that, uh, you know, identify as female that want to work on their speaking voice. Uh, So I know that glottal fry, I have a a decent amount of glottal fry in my voice. You just heard me do it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of where it fries out. Yes, yes. And it's become very stylistic in our culture, I feel. Uh, And it's pretty habitual for me to fry at the end of my phrases. Um, But I have a lot of a lot of clients that want to try to work on that um, and get out of that vocal fry. So there is something called like the source filter theory, but the power comes from your breath, your respiratory support. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. the source um, of your voice or your vocal cords vibrating. And then the filter, how that sound modifies is your vocal tract. So Mm -hmm. if your if your power, if your respiratory support is diminished, then you're going to fall into kind of a lower volume, more of a vocal fry at the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You turned me to, um, that was purposeful, but, um, so working on that respiratory support, working on the coordination of the breathing and the phonation or the movement of the vocal cords and your voicing, and then what you're doing with that voice in your vocal tract as it's coming out. So I can help shape that, um, often do in terms of executives wanting to work on their voice or people that just, you know, people that might identify as their gender assigned at birth. So it's not necessarily working on transgender vocal modification, but just people wanting to come in and modify their characteristics of voice. It doesn't always have to be like a pathological process of, of like mod- or working on like a vocal pathology, um, but working on just the overall sound and characteristics of the voice as well. So what would your advice be for people who are trans and are either frightened Do people get frightened to do this? Are they enthusiastic and excited about doing it? I'm just curious. It's a really big spectrum. Yeah. Sometimes I have clients who are not out at all, and I might be the first person that they come out to as transgender, and they want to start with their voice um, and start transitioning from there. I have other clients that have fully transitioned. um, And this is the last stop on their journey, right? Yeah. And it's really important to say that no transgender or gender non-conforming person should ever feel like they need to change their voice. I'm just here as a resource if that's part of what somebody's transition process looks like and if they desire that. Um, And there are some people that do not want any vocal modification, and that is absolutely fine. So I have a woo question for you. So do you know the chakras, right? You oh, yes. know, yeah, all the chakras. And there is 
um, you know, the, the shot, your throat chakra, which is attached to your voice. And it, it means about speaking your truth. Yeah. I find it very interesting that you're the first people person that a lot of people come out to is trans because um, they're speaking their truth for the first mm-hmm. time. Um, any core, have you ever seen any type of correlation between that? Um, I remember before I came out, when I used to, I used to be, I used to practice Kundalini yoga and I did it for like 10 years and I would practice a lot at home and I'd always got stuck at my voice. Mm. I physically, you know, was um, like it might, I could barely talk, you know, and I, and like it, 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 it was very, very interesting. So from that was part of my whole process and it was a very long process, but really like getting, having my, like my throat chakra be stuck because I wasn't speaking my truth. Any correlation with that? And I mean, I know this is like woo-woo question, but like even have you seen it in your practice in the hospital and stuff like that? Because we are intellectual, physical, spiritual, and emotional beings. So sometimes it starts with our physical being before it starts with our emotional being. You know, I'm just curious if you've ever seen anything like that. That's a really good question. I'd have to reflect on that for a while, I feel like. Yeah, give back to me because I, <laughs> I because I'm really curious about that because a lot of times, you know, a lot of my late in life lesbians often have a lot of problems in their sacral area. Um, because that's this, you know, that's with our sexuality. Yeah, and all that stuff like that. And so there's a lot of blockage there. And so I'm just curious how you have you ever found any correlation with block throat chakra? And speech problems, I guess I would want to, I guess that's my question. And if you viewed it that way, you're a scientist, so you're probably- Yes, I know. I I am a scientist that loves yoga (laughs) and all things kind of spiritual. So, um, I mean, for me personally, I feel like I, uh, so my logo is actually myself. Uh, It's actually my voice in the back. You'll see a speech wave and it's actually me saying my voice. Um, And that's the speech wave that's on the back of my logo. Uh, It actually is such a, I mean, the voice is such a spiritual thing for me as well, because it took me a very long time to find my own voice and to to kind of open that and feel um, ready to kind of shout to the world who I am and be comfortable with that. So there is something really special about using my voice, helping others find their most gender congruent voice um, or their vo- finding their voice again in regards to like a neurodegenerative disease process that strips them of that ability. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something very empowering about witnessing that process for other people, for witnessing it for myself. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely think it can open up like so much and be able to release so much. So I want to just, I want to, I want to um, give you some affirmation. You know, you did exactly what you were supposed to do in college. You know, you were supposed to go and explore all different things. We're not supposed to go to college and say, I'm going to be an accountant. This mom told me to be. <laughs> we're yeah. supposed, and, and it makes a lot of sense why speech pathology spoke so much to you because you had not found your voice yet. Oh no, I had totally not. I was living in this very like heteronormative world. And I I think I spoke about it on my last podcast where (laughs) I um, felt like it was, you know, I just 
didn't question. I just kind of put my head down and did what society expected of me or what my interpretation was um, of what society and my family and my community expected of me. Um, and I didn't really question much. I just did that. Um, and when something popped up or I could feel it in the pit of my stomach, like, oh, maybe I'm queer. Okay, well, I'm just going to keep living my life the way that I'm living my life because that's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I hear you. <laughs> So what was, what was the most challenging thing about starting this, this new path that you're on? It's not a really a new business for you. It's an extension of your old path, but going in a new direction, which is wonderful because I'm sure you're bringing so much experience from the hospital with you and also all kinds of colleagues that can help and stuff. But what was the most challenging part of this, starting this new business for you? the business part <laughs> I'm not much of a background I mean I, I love vintage clothing I've had like a vintage clothing business in the past but um not this type of business like a medical private practice of some sort um therapy private practice um so the business component learning all those things I'm a very kind of DIY hands-on person um it might be like rooted in my my need to control, control issues <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> Perhaps a little but, uh, bit of control issues. But I'm aware of it. So um awareness is 50%, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. But, um just like you know, I built my website myself from the ground up. I um, you know, had to make the legal forms. And in because I am um in the arena of medicine and therapy, there's a lot of legal components to it, making sure all my ducks were in a row and checked off before I really launched my private practice. Um the private practice part, the seeing clients, the documenting. I've done that for so many years. I love it. It comes easy to me. The marketing does not come easy to me. I would prefer my clients just find me as they find me. And I don't want to ever feel like I need to sell myself or my services, but I also, you know, I'm worthy of, of, of doing this and I want people to know I exist. So I've had to really kind of wrap my mind around like, okay, you need to market yourself and you need to market your services. They're of value. You are worthy. Um, and putting that out there. Um, and then probably the last thing you, you asked for one here's there's three, but, um, the last thing is probably just boundaries. I, um, I tend to be available like around the clock and I like that, but I need to, it's not that I don't want to be, it's that I need to, for my family's sake, make sure that I'm, it's not just about boundaries being available to people, but maybe not working at 2 a.m. because I would like to get some more things updated on my website or, or things of that nature. It's like boundaries imposed upon myself. Um, when you run your own business, I feel like it can be very easy to have that bleed into all hours of the day. Um, so that's been challenging for and me. Also too, I just want to offer you're also worth the boundaries so that you can take care of you. Yes. yes I need to because <laughs> when you are a caregiver, which you are professionally and personally, um, you need that time off and you need to shut off the phone. And, you know, I had a really good, I, not that I practice it so well, but somebody said, do not look at your phone the first hour that you wake up. Because when you look at your first, I know I do it too. Don't worry. I get it. <laughs> because a lot of times I'm preparing for the day. Yeah. Um, but the thing is what they said is that you let 20,000 people into your bedroom. Oh, wow. open your phone. And 
And so I try, I've, I, I do better. Sometimes I do good. Sometimes I don't do so good because it depends if I have an eight o'clock interview, I'm up reading somebody's profile and what they do and all those things like that. Or if I have a client, I'm getting prepared. So, but, um, being really, really good about like turning your phone off. Like my wife yells at me sometimes because like, I'll go to the grocery store or I'll go somewhere and I'll leave my phone in the car. She goes, can you please have your phone with you? So if I need something I can. And then I said, honey, I just don't want to have my phone with me all that effing time (laughs) because it's become an extension of our bodies. And sometimes I like to leave it in the car. Yes. And I'm grocery shopping. So I have an hour where I just look at groceries. <laughs> Absolutely. And be mindful and present. And yes. Yeah. And like, you know, and it's actually funny enough, grocery shopping to me is pretty relaxing. Yeah. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. Just, it brings me back to my younger days. Absolutely. So what is the biggest successes of this business that you are nurturing right now? Yeah, the growth. Um, the growth has been phenomenal and I love seeing it. Um, just from a standpoint of people are getting care and access to care that might have not been there for them. Um, and that fills my cup up, uh, seeing that, being able to find ways to extend that. So I just launched uh, a group that I'm calling Coffee and Chords, um, mm-hmm. kind of pun on the vocal chords, but um. And it's a gender affirming peer practice group where clients that are currently um, doing vocal training or have done it in the past, it does not need to necessarily be with me, uh, just some type of professional voice training coming together two Sunday mornings a month and just working on kind of fine tuning the voice, what's come up, um, what's been difficult, what's been a win for your voice uh, and being in community while practicing that and talking about all things voice and transgender voice. Uh, So being able to grow it to where I can open some of those things up a little bit more. um, The growth has been a great, great win in many, many ways. So yeah, I'd have to say that. So you are a professional that was in the clinical hospital setting for years and years. So what a piece of advice would you give to your friends and colleagues that are gonna make the leap? Do you know there's a book called The Leap? You should probably read it. Okay, I should probably. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm in the midst of reading it too because I'm making another leap with my yeah. business, you know. So I'm like, ah. yes. So yeah, you understand because you're doing yeah. it right now. So what would you give? What advice would you give to a a? I really want your advice for a clinician mm. who's moving into private practice. Yeah. Um, I would say just a completely open mind and being open to where, like if you commit to, okay, I'm going to open my private practice. It's not, it's definitely not for everybody. Um, but if that's something no, that's not, no, <laughs> if that's something that you seek and that you want and the business side of it speaks to you, like just go for it and keep your mind open to everything. So right now, I'm not going to say the name of it just for privacy and safety of my clients, but right now my office is actually in the back of a yoga studio that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, And it's amazing that the bathrooms are gender inclusive. It's a very 
warm and inclusive and inviting space. So I started off in an office space in like a, a clinical office space, um, renting an office and it didn't, it didn't feel right. Like it, it felt, um, it just didn't feel warm and inviting and inclusive. And so I just tried to follow that path of like, okay, what is out there? I'm keeping an open mind. What does my practice look like? It might not look like another speech therapy practice and that is okay. Um, so yeah, just the open-mindedness and, and being, being open to following different paths of getting mm-hmm. the end result. Mm-hmm. So now I have a question for a queer entrepreneur. What is your best advice for them? <clears throat> Visibility. So I had to think on that for a minute. I think the visibility component, if you're comfortable and in a place where you feel safe, um, that's been a huge factor for me is putting that out there and being visible to the queer community um, as a resource. And I love when I see another queer business um, that, oh, wonderful. Like it makes me feel welcome and invited. Um, and I may not have known that resource was there prior. So absolutely. I understand. Yeah. And not everybody's going to feel comfortable with that visibility component and that's absolutely okay. But if that's something that you do feel comfortable and safe being visible, being vocal and putting yourself out there, that's, that's been a huge foundation of my business. What I have found is that a lot of times queer people dim their lights um, because they're worried. And especially if you've grown up and, and I understand there's sometimes there's a real reason to be worried, especially if you're in an incredibly homophobic place or something like that. And we do have to be more careful. Um, but I also find that putting yourself out there as a queer person is vulnerable and it's hard. It really is. It truly is. And people don't, you know, I had Krista uh, Supan, who is the owner of the lipstick on for my first, um, you know, she's been an openly queer business owner and she's going to be my launch when I do the launch. And she's a good, she's a friend of mine. And so I asked her about it. I said, what would you give an advice for a queer entrepreneur? And she goes, she goes, be ready to be known as the queer entrepreneur for the rest of your life. Good advice. <laughs> you know, you know, you, Kristen, will most likely eventually, as you become more and more well known, you'll be known as the queer speech therapist. Yeah. You know? And sometimes people don't want to embrace that. That's not the only part of their identity, you know. And and unfortunately, we get labeled that part of our identity sometimes when we don't want it to be part of our identity in that particular moment you know it's it's a piece of our identity but a very important piece you know can I tell you a really cute little story yes please my my wife's been a long time out lesbian 40 years here in Nashville she's a professional photographer and she over the years has been very reticent about saying that she's a lesbian she always has and um so she got like 15 minutes free business coaching with somebody. And I have been telling her for years, you know, you really, I mean, she's a photographer. If there's a field you can lean into being queer in, that's one of them. And she's an architectural photographer here in Nashville. And one of the only, by the way, it's, there's hardly any female architectural photographers, which is really cool. That's really cool about her. And she does it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, And so she was on this call 15 minutes with this business coach and the business coach, a woman straight said, you really need to lean into being queer. (laughs) 
That's amazing. <laughs> but so my wife grew up here in Nashville, came out in the 80s where it was illegal yeah. to be gay. And so even though she is the most proudest out person I've ever met in my life, it, you know, she was worried about getting paid. But my point in saying all this is that you will find that there are so many people that A, don't care, B, want to support a business, or is or are members of the queer community. And they're like, thank God Kristen is queer. I know she's safe and or they're safe and they can I can go to them. You yes. know? So it's it's actually a plus sometimes. Like for me, I'm always very hesitant to name the fact that I'm actually an ordained minister. Mm. So many queer folks think that's so cool. Yes. And it's like I have that's probably the hardest thing for me to own more than anything else. You know, fascinating, though, because for me, somebody who has like a history of religious trauma, for example, and I carry that with me and I've worked so hard to break those bonds and get out of that mindset for me to hear that you are an ordained minister. It I mean, I'm not even kidding you. Like that is so important for me to see people like that, to see folks like that and to reopen my mind. And it has like I'm on this path now of like, okay. Like I have kind of pigeonholed religion as this one thing and it's not at all. And that is just my lived experience. That's not everybody's lived experience. So to hear people like you say, oh, I'm queer and I'm an ordained minister. And this is a huge part of who I am. That really opens up my eyes. Like, okay, this is a spectrum just like everything else in life. And it's important. Well, and it's so funny is that like sometimes owning pieces of ourselves are so hard sometimes. And even if we're comfortable with those spaces, those things. And, um, but sometimes I really, I, I still struggle with naming that. Um, and mm. because I know the reason why I'll be very, is because I know the damage the church, the churches and religion have done to our community. And so that's why I hesitate so much. And I, because I don't want anyone to feel that I'm there holding the cross to bludgeon them with because I'm so not there to do that. But it's, that's why I, that's why I struggle naming it because, and, and, you know, and also being like, also, you know, also that I got caught up in a system of religion. And so like, I have been traumatized by a system of religion because I didn't come out until I was 52. So I get it. And, but I'm also have been part of that system. So it's, it's a very, it's a very confusing and intricate thing about owning parts of ourselves to, to the world. You know, there's a lot. Yeah. So oh sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead, finish up. There's definitely a part of me that when I was making my website, um, you know, I want to have a tab for gender affirming services. I also provide neurological services, so I wanted to have a tab for that. And it was like, how far do I dive into my own sexuality and my own queerness on my website? Like, do I kind of just pocket that part of myself and not publicize it? So I had to make a really conscious decision, kind of going off of what you said is. Could I lose business because I am vocal about my queerness in Tennessee? Oh yeah. But like I've, I I almost, almost 40, I went 40 years, not really being visible and not actually being able to feel like I could be my true authentic self. And I am not willing to like stamp that down and not anymore out there. So Mm -hmm. that was definitely kind of what we were talking about. It was a very, 
I, I remember sitting here thinking, what do I do with this? And it was no question for me personally, because I've had to kind of just ignore that part of myself for so long. And now it's, it's just shining and glowing out of me. And I just needed it to be a part interwoven into my business. It's who I am. And it's always, it's so funny because we're always worried we're going to lose business, but we never think we're going to gain business because of it. Yes. Like, so like me owning my, my religious past, like, you know, you know, I've done surveys and 80% of all women who've come out later in life have some sort of religious trauma. Wow. Wow. Or, or come from conservative faith traditions. So um, it's so funny because we need to own who every bit's bit part of us. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that I can, I can almost feel your, I can feel the like part when you were doing your website and being like, do I put this or don't I put this? Do I put this? And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you did um, because, you know, you probably will gain more business because of that. Because if I were, you know, you just never know people's life stories. And I'm going to tell you, most people in the world don't care if their speech therapist is queer. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) You know, I mean, like, I am sure you have patients that you don't talk about any of this stuff with, not because you're hiding it, just because you're doing work and you're not even like, you're not in that part of your brain. You're in your speech pathologist clinician brain and you're just doing work, you know? So absolutely. Well, Kristen, it was again, a delight talking to you. We're going to have to meet for coffee sometime yeah. since we are in the same town. Um, thank you sh- about sharing about your business today. I really, really appreciate it. I wish you future six, nothing but success in what you're doing. And I'm really excited for you. And, and now I have a voice person to refer people to. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Queer Business Success, the podcast that highlights LGBTQIA businesses. New episodes are published regularly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other listening platforms. Wherever you're listening, take a moment to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you an entrepreneur who's also queer? Want to share some of your wisdom and experience with the rest of us? We'd love to have you on the show. Just click the link in the show notes to apply to be a guest. Until next time, queer friends and allies, keep taking care of business.